I am just so, so honored to be in front of you this morning. I've been reflecting on this all week. Uh, this year, 2023, will be my wife and I, Sarah and my 38th year of worshiping at College Park. It'll be my 24th year of being a pastor. And I can tell you honestly, I love this church. And when I say I love the church, I love the people in this church. And the people in this church have, have just become the community that is us. I'm so honored that I get to preach. And I would candidly tell you, I'm equally relieved that this is a one-off sermon. <laughs> yeah, I was doing a little research and I looked and the last time I preached at College Park was March 16th, 2014, on a Sunday morning. And that's 3,215 days ago. <laughs> so if I'm following that schedule, that means the next time I'm up will be October of 2031. <laughs> and that's great. I, I, do, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to do it, I love to do it. But next week, Mark will be here. He'll be preaching on what our vision is for the church, some of our engagements. And the week after that, we get to jump back into the book of Revelation. So I'm just honored and I hope for the next 25, 30 minutes that I can speak to you in such a way that this goal is reached. My goal and what I prayed, I had a blast preparing all week for this. My goal is just, I want you in 2023 to spend more time in God's word. Not because of willpower, but because of a fresh vision that you have from God's word. I want you to spend more time in God's word in 2023, not by willpower, but because of fresh vision. Mark sent me a note this week, or before this, and he said, make sure that you project what your big idea is for the sermon and then go back and reinforce it. And so, that's my big idea. I want you to know the Word of God and love the Word of God. And here's, here's the outline that we're gonna look at from Hebrews chapter 12. The first point is this, that you are in a race. You are in a race. The second point we'll see in verse two is that you have a nuclear option. And the third is that you need to choose the nuclear option. So if you wanted to reduce it to seven words, and just looking out, I know many of you, and I'm almost tempted to call you by name and say, I want you to remember this outline. I want it to stay with you. One. Seven words, in a race. Can you say that with me? In a race. Secondly, nuclear option. Nuclear option. Third, choose nukes. Choose nukes. That's our outline. If you wanted to see it even in more detail, you could look at it this way. In verse one, we're in a race, and the bold font says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The second, the nuclear option is when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we understand, this is the key point, we understand him as the author and perfecter of our faith and we're choosing when we give consideration to him. So that's our outline for today. I wanna ask you just to take 30 seconds and pray with me and then we'll get started. Lord, I think about Moses when he said, these are not idle words, these words are your life. 
I think about the person I read this week who said, um, choose many books, but make the Bible your home. And Lord, there's such a, a wonderful gift to us in your word, and I'm so thankful that so many people would come on January 1st to worship you, God, and I'm just so encouraged by the crowd that's in this room, and as we just all lean in together as friends and brothers and sisters and people who are on the same team, God, that we might, we might really see you visit us the way you visited me this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Sarah and I have been blessed to have uh, four children in our lives. Um, they're all in their 30s. Um, and then they've all gotten married, so now we have eight children. And then they, some of them had children, so now we have eight grandchildren. And it's interesting when you have four children who are in their 30s, um, what, what is the biggest gift from that to Sarah and me is the reality of the memories that we have. I mean, we just have millions of memories. And some of my favorite memories, and I spent time thinking about this this week in preparation, was just when I got to be a coach for my children. And I can remember when they were real little, I remember being a, uh, on dad pitch baseball where the dads would pitch to the kid and you try to find the plane that the kid was swinging on and make sure if you could hit that so the ball might hit the bat when they swung. <laughs> I remember being on a basketball court with one of my sons and having to tell him, listen, if you tackle the guy with the ball, again, you're gonna have to get on the sidelines. He was so excited to be on the team and he'd seen his brothers playing and, and it was like tackle is for football, not basketball. I remember being on a soccer field with a little four-year-old and, and the, the coach, the, the commissioner of the league had said, hey, you know, we're not keeping score in this and every kid on the team knew exactly what the score was. I just had those memories. But far and away, my favorite memories of coaching was when I got to be a cross-country coach, when my kids got older. And I was, for seven years, I got to be a volunteer assistant at Carmel High School and just worked with the program. And for three years, I was at Heritage Christian. And one of the things that, that I learned, and it was so helpful, I did it every single meet when I was a coach, is we'd get to the place, and warm up, we'd have done all the training, and then I would go off by myself and I would find, it's usually a 3.1 mile race, and I would find a place about two miles, hopefully where there was a hill, uphill, and I would wait right there. And when my runners, especially when my sons came by, they would usually, at that point in the race, they would be tired, and, and they would be a little wobbly, and their form would have kind of broken down, and their heads would be up in the air, and their head might be twilted, tilted, and they're just kinda, just, just kinda got a glazed look in their eyes. And I would just say this to them. Sam, Joel, Kimber, Molly, whoever it was, you're in a race. That's what I say to them every time. You're in a race right now. You have six minutes left at the max. Go, you signed up for this. You're in a race. I'd say, lower your shoulders, drive your arms, and your legs will follow. Come on, you're in a race. And I'm not kidding, I promise this, God is my witness. 95 times out of 100, they would go from this, and all of a sudden, their head would come down, their eyes would get a different look, and they would just start speeding up and accelerating and moving faster because they'd remembered they were in a race. 
That's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, therefore, since you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off every weight in the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race that is set before us. He's reminding these Jewish Christians that they are in a race. He's saying you're surrounded by people in Hebrews 11, there's hundreds and thousands and millions of people who've done the race. You're not alone in the race, they've already done it and they've finished it, they can do it and you can do it. He's saying throw off the weight, strip down, start running, never quit, no extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Get rid of the things that cleverly entangle you and run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before you. And I need to be reminded of that. And you need to be reminded of that on a daily basis. The writer of the Hebrews is reminding them at one time, you people were glad to follow Jesus. And now you're not. And he's saying, God has resources for you. He has resources for you so that you can face life no matter what is thrown at you with great power and with dignity and with grace. There's an easy application point in this in our thought lives from Paul David Tripp. Listen to this carefully. I know it's a little long. It says, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. Whether you realize it or not, you are in an unending conversation with yourself. And the things you say to you about you are formative of the way that you live. You are constantly talking to yourself about your identity, your spirituality, your functionality, your emotionality, your mentality, your personality, your relationships, etc. You are constantly preaching to yourself some kind of gospel. You preach to yourself an anti-gospel of your own righteousness and power and wisdom, or you preach the true gospel of deep spiritual need and sufficient grace. You preach to yourself an anti-gospel of aloneness and inability, or you preach to yourself the true gospel of the presence, provision, and, and um, power of an ever-present Christ. And so we need to remember that we're in a race And the race is won or lost by the what is in our minds and what's coming at us and how we're embracing it. And the second point that I wanna look at is that you have a nuclear option. And this has been so helpful to me. This is from uh, a sermon or two I've heard from Tim Keller. But here's what he says the nuclear option is. He says, look, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. Let's look at the first term, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. In the Greek language, it's really interesting because the word has the idea of looking away, looking away to Jesus. And here's what he means. You're doing life with its problems and its challenges, and the writer is saying, I want you to look away from all that's going wrong and fix your eyes on Jesus. You will handle life's difficulties in 2023 depending on your focus. You are to look away to Jesus. You're sinking because of what you're looking at, what's filling your mind. Stop that 
and look away to Jesus. Think about it. This is, this is just like so true for me. What has captured my imagination? When I'm going through hard times, my wife and I went through some hard times in 2022. When we were going through hard times, what were we experiencing in our mind? Too often, I was doing this. I was thinking, yeah, Jesus is Lord, and he's the resurrected king, and he's coming back, but there's this issue right here. And what happens is that this, this is the video, and Jesus is the audio and the white noise. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, no, no. And what I'm saying to myself and what I'm saying to you is, no, no, no. Look away to Jesus so that he is the video. And your problems, though real, are the audio, but he is right in front of you. And when that happens, and when we take it seriously, then like Paul, we could say these light and momentary afflictions. We really can. That is, that's what we can do as a church. Here's what Dane Ortland says about looking away to Jesus. Looking away to Jesus means stockpiling your God-given memory. So God gave you a memory with God-breathed truth so that your God-given imagination can draw from it to construct a more accurate understanding of God-created reality. Are you living, are we living in a God-created reality because we're saturating our thoughts with the central reality of God's living word? Think about this. God gave us his word in black letters on white paper. That was his option. And he did it for a reason, so that it's, it's living and it's alive, and we can take that information in, and then we have to remember that God made us in his image, and in making us in his image, he gave us an imagination, imagination. I mean, it's one, it's the, it's one of the most neglected and just powerful gifts that we have that we can take God's word and we can get it into our imagination so it creates the reality that God wants it to create. And I wanna tell you, if, we, if the people in this room would just take God's word in at a deeper level and we would immerse it in our God-given imaginations for truth realities, we would just be so transformed. If you think that Steven Spielberg has a good imagination in his movies, you don't realize what you have when the Spirit of God eternally takes the Word of God eternally and gets it into your bones. You, we're not, I, it's, it's, it's such a gift. And you know what happens when that happens? Life changes. And one of the best parts of being a pastor is that I get to see people who take God's word, take it into their lives, and they see change. Six years ago, I had a friend who had a, what I would call a low-grade addiction to wrong images on the computer screen that violated his marital covenant. And it was low grade because he'd try and then three months, five, four months, five months, six months, he'd fall back in it. It was ruining his life. 
is ruining his marriage, is ruining his family, is creating chaos. And he called me. And we went to Hebrews chapter one. We, we looked at the fact that the throne of Jesus will last forever and ever. We looked at the fact that the, the scepter of Jesus' throne is a scepter of righteousness. We looked at the fact that Jesus loves righteousness and hates wickedness. And we chewed on that. And then he started sending me a text every day for 365 days. Day one, loving righteousness, hating wickedness. Day two, day 10, didn't miss a day. Day 300, day 365, he sent me that. And I said, you no no longer need to text me daily, but text me if you're tempted and you need help. On November 18th of this year, at 6.24 a.m., I got a text from my friend, the same friend, and here's what it said. Hating wickedness and loving righteousness, 1,825 days, five years. Thanks be to God. I just want to tell you, yeah. Today's January 1st, 2023, Five years from now is January 1st, 2028. If my friend hadn't committed himself to realizing he's in a race and he has a nuclear option and he chose nukes, he would still, he wouldn't be, he would be wallowing. He wouldn't probably be married. And I want to just, just encourage you. I'm like, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you that we can be different people as we take God's word deep into us, it's a nuclear option. It produces change. My friend loved wickedness <laughs> and he hated righteousness in those moments when he was failing. And God changed him, God transformed him when he got the word of God in his bones. You guys still with me here this morning? Good. So I wanna share the next point of this, sorry. Um, The next point I wanna share with you is the most beautiful part of the nuclear option. And that's when it says this. It says, uh, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The author and perfecter of our faith. This is a key point that we need to understand and massage and get deeply into us. You will have to understand Jesus's work. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He says, you have to understand him as the author and perfecter of your faith. It's not enough to think nebulous thoughts about Jesus, or I go to church and I go to Sunday school and I listen to Christian radio. It's it's something much more than that. The word author and perfecter in the Greek is the word archego, A-R-C-H-E-G-O. And what it means in the Greek and myth stories of the time, and this is why the author uses it, it means a particular kind of champion. He's saying, look to Jesus as your arch ego. It was a man of power who would stand in and fight for you. So there would be a villain in the story and the arch ego hero, the champion, would step in and he would take the arrows from the enemy so that the hostages could escape. Another way the arch ego might be, and that's the story of David and Goliath. Each of them was an arch ego so that if David won, 
Israel won. If Goliath won, the Philistines won. He would challenge the villain to mortal combat, and if he lost, they lost, and if he triumphed, the hostages triumphed. So that when you understand, I mean, when you really are meditating and marinating on the reality that Jesus is your arch ego, you understand that he was both. That he took our poison and wrath and hell and death so that there's none left for us this morning. There's none left for us. He united from him. When we're united with our ego, when we look away to Jesus and we see him and we get it in our bones that he's our arch ego, then we're as free from guilt as Jesus is. We are free. It's not like, I hope I am. You are free from guilt this morning because he's paid the price and you don't have to, it doesn't have to be paid again. We look away to Jesus. His perfect life allows him to stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and it allows us to do the same. His righteousness becomes ours. Mm. The deeper, church, the deeper in 2023 we take this into our bones, the more changed we will be. It's a nuclear option. My wife and I were driving home from Nashville, Tennessee this week, and we had some music on, and we heard this song by Sarah Groves, and we just listened to it two or three different times, but it says this about him. It's sung by a woman who's looked away to Jesus and understands who he is, and it says, man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, think about this church, drugged down to the city dump, spread eagled on a crossbeam, propped up like a scarecrow, nailed to a tree, there for all the world to see. You did that for me. You did that for me, Jesus. You wore the chains so that I can be free. I don't have to be ashamed. I don't have to hang my head or shoulder the blame. I don't have to know it all. I don't have to be afraid of the mountain and afraid to fall. You did that for me. He's a wonderful savior. He's paid so much for us so that we can be free. And all he wants, he's given us the way forward. He's given us a nuclear option. The last point is that we're gonna consider the nuclear option. So here I'm gonna step out of the pastoral and I just wanna be a coach. I want you just to imagine that you're in a race right now and you're at the two mile mark and you got 1.1 mile to go and you're tired. I want to say something and I prayed this morning and this week that as I just encourage you with these words that they will stick with you. I would love it if Bruce Reed remembered these words on Tuesday at 1141 as you're walking through life. Kathy Smith, as she's baking in the kitchen as she does so well, would just be able to take these words in. Listen to these, this quote from Milton Vincent. The gospel is so foolish according to my natural wisdom. 
so scandalous according to my conscience and so incredible according to my timid heart that it is a daily battle to believe the full scope of it. Here's what I want you to hear. There is simply no other way to compete with the forebodings of my conscience, the condemnings of my heart, and the lies of the world and the devil than to overwhelm such things with daily rehearsings of the gospel. There's no way you're going to make it. There's no way you're going to overcome and, and live the life of fullness that God wants you to live unless you're deeply rehearsing on a personal level. I have another example of this. Remember how in Hebrews 11 he says we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let me give you an example of a great cloud of witnesses. Since 2008, I've had these groups of young men and women, and we call it the Word in Bones group. Well, you know why we call it that? Anybody? It has nothing to do with chicken wings. It has something to do that we want to get the Word of God deep in our bones. We just call it a, almost a spiritual memorization boot camp that for the next two months, you, this is your primary spiritual discipline. We've had guys that have memorized Titus, 1 Timothy, 1 Thessalonians, part of Ephesians, part of um, John's gospel. And we would meet in my house, have pizza, talk about life while we're eating. And then we would just go around and how we're doing with our reciting and they would get it into their bones. It wasn't just enough that they had to recite it. They had to, to know it deep inside their souls so it would marinate. And this week, and then we would end getting on our face and praying back the scriptures. And I asked, I sent out a kind of a group email to all, a lot of those people. And I heard so many things and not one of the people that did it said, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. All of them talked about how when they gave themselves, when they looked away to Jesus and they gave the word of God its due, how it transformed them. Listen to Kyle Bingle. Kyle Bingle, I think we did this in 2009 when he was 25 and now he's 38 and he's an elder at College Park. Kyle wrote, get it in your bones. The biggest benefit of getting the word in my bones is filling the neutral time of my thought life. So often I can get distracted with the things of life, but when the word is running through the transcript of my mind, it produces great fruit. It leads to transformation. I can get worked up and anxious about life, but the reminder of deep truth puts me back on track. Think about this, John Piper, I'll read a quote in just a minute, but do you realize throughout the day, you probably make 100 conscious decisions. Like right now, I'm in front of you and I'm not, I'm not processing going, okay, which biblical principle do I apply to this single word? Or when you're driving, you're not, you're just subconsciously living life constantly. It's a rare moment when we actually are making a conscious decision. 99% of our lives, John Piper says, is lived without immediate reflection upon a life principle. And so that means that if the words that I'm saying are just kind of tumbling out of me or they're out of you when you're living your life, that actually should be a little scary. Most of our lives are lived spontaneously. Listen, most of our lives are not lived after 10 seconds of reflection on a biblical principle. So where do those thoughts come from? 
They come from being a kind of person. And that raises the question, how do you become a kind of person so that you're a good tree that bears spontaneous good fruit? And the answer is, you soak in the scriptures. And you let your sight of Jesus and your taste of Jesus and his ways in the Bible affect and shape your soul. Your soul marinates in the sauces of grace until the soul is made soft and tender and supple and sensitive to the leadings of the Holy Spirit so that in a kind of spontaneous way it responds. My wife Sarah is a woman of the word and her spontaneous reactions are actions of grace. On Tuesday, I'm gonna do something I've never done. In the morning, I'm gonna go to a funeral for Carol Nelson. In the afternoon, I'm gonna go to a funeral for Guy East. Both people were running the race. Carol died unexpectedly two weeks ago. Guy died unexpectedly last week. Can I tell you, Guy East was a man of the message. Carol Nelson was a woman of the word. Both marinated in the sauces of grace until their souls were made soft and tender and supple and sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Both were beautiful human beings because they were immersed in God's word. And those funerals, while are gonna rip our hearts out, they're also gonna be a time of rejoicing of people who were beautiful human beings because the word of God was central in their lives. I've got just two more things to say. Thank you so much for your attentiveness. This has been such an honor to preach this morning to you. Listen to this. Stanley, let me find my notes here. Stanley Harwash argues convincingly that if we want to change our way of life, acquiring the right image is far more important than diligently exercising willpower. Willpower is a notoriously sputtery engine on which to rely for internal energy. Can I get an amen to that? How many times? But a right image, a right image, silently and inexplicably, sorry, my brain's tired, pulls us into its field of reality, which is also a field of energy. And here's what I want you to think about in the last few minutes that we have left. In Galatians chapter five, as Alonzo referred to this morning, there's the fruit of the spirits. And Paul is in the fruits of the spirits talking about a person who's taken the word of God deeply into their lives and the spirit of God deeply into their life and it's created this kind of a person. It's the kind of person that I wanna be. It's the kind of person I want our church to be full of. It's the kind of persons that will change the world by our demeanor. And I just wanna ask you to look at the right side. On the left side is the words as you know them. And on the right side are some descriptions by Eugene Peterson. I paid my grandkids and my kids $260 total to memorize and meditate on these because it's that important. But just just think about this as you're running the race, as you have this nuclear option, as you choose nuclear, 
that in 2024, by the end of the year, you could be this kind of person who is full of an affection for others, a person who has exuberance about life, a person who is full of serenity, peace, a person who's patient and has the ability to stick with things and people, a person who's full of compassion from the heart, a person who understands how broken the world is, but at the same time they're full of goodness and they have this conviction that basic holiness permeates people and things and they respond to them in that manner. You can be gentle as you immerse, you don't have to focus, will I be gentle? You immerse yourself in God's word, the spirit of God then produces this fruit that is outside of who you are. And you don't have to force your way in life. You can be involved in loyal commitments. And this is, I wish I could apply self-control into my life. I need the spirit of God to help me to marshal and direct my energies wisely. When, when I say those terms to you, does that appeal to you? Do you want to be that kind of person? I do. And we can do that as we remember we're running the race. We have this nuclear option of God's word. And we need to choose nukes. So I'm going to give you three tips and then we'll be done and we'll pray. If you wanted to give yourself to the scriptures in 2023, give it time. Give it unhurried time. It takes time. How many of you live like me? You're, you're constantly fighting against being in a hurry. You, you don't do that. Give it unhurried time. It, it means you value God's word more than other things you do. Or you could say it means you value wanting to be kind, the kind of person full of the fruits of the spirit. So you intentionally give something up so that you aren't always rushing. You know, speaking of time, just um, even in the next week, this, this week, I just wanted to take just a side moment here. And next, if you wanted to give it time, this week on First Friday, we're going to have probably over 100 people praying for global missionaries. We need people who are full of the word who would come and pray and see God move the needle. This week, or next week, January 9th through 13th, the chapel will be open from noon to one for a time of facilitated prayer. January 11th, Wednesday night, we're having an evening of prayer led by the fireside team. Just some things where maybe you could just slow down. You could do the 30, New 30 Bible reading plan. Go to yourchurch.com, New 30. Just do it from January 9th to February 7th. You know, another beautiful thing about immersing ourselves in the word, something that God has used to change me, I've learned to do it for rest, not because I'm rested. Takes a perspective that God's word will really give me rest. So when I'm tired, instead of saying, oh, I'm too tired, I can't turn to the word, you could say, I'm really tired, I must turn to the word. Remember, just remind yourself of the basics. I do this all the time. I just take my Bible and I go, this is God's word. This is God's word. This is God's word. 
This, this is God's word. Spend time with books, but make the Bible your home. I used to, 10, 12 years ago, I would spend 70% of my time in books and 30% time in my word. That's changed. The word of God is like nothing else. It's a nuclear option. Second to last tip. This really helps me. Slow down your mind. I've used this illustration before, but my mind's like a, like a, a fast-moving river. And I go to the Word, and I want to check on my text and do all this, and I just say, no, it's not. It's, now it's still water. It's not moving. And now it's not just water. It's syrup. And now it's just not syrup. It's motor oil. And just, just intentionally slow my mind down so that I begin actually looking and absorbing the words and then the last thing I would just tell you is this, is seek God's transforming help. Have an inquiring mind. Tell God humbly you need him more than you realize and ask him to give you deep, humble, inquiring mind that can take in the words of God. Let's pray. Father, I was expecting a hundred people here this morning, and it's just a tribute to your grace that this church is people who want to come on January 1st and worship you. I just, I am so encouraged by the size and the amount of, of worshipers together. Lord, as we now sing, this is our prayer. We're going to sing how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. In Jesus' name, amen.